Welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and today I am joined by Alex Krutchik and Austin Reynolds of the FSVU NV89. On this episode, we will discuss the aftermath of Florida State football's loss to Boise State last weekend, along with looking ahead towards this weekend's battle against Louisiana Monroe. We also go over FSU Soccer's West Coast Swing and preview their match against Florida this Friday night. And last but not least, we get into some FSU Volleyball and their upset of number three, Minnesota, last weekend. Let's get right into it. All right, I'm, this week I'm joined by Alex Krutchik and Austin Reynolds, both of them from the FSVU and the radio station. We kind of got a little double up here, so Alex, why don't you introduce yourself to the people at home? Hey, I'm Alex Krutchik. I'm uh, down from your neck of the woods. I'm from South Florida, yes, West so of Florida far. to be exact. <laughs> um, this is my first semester with the FSVU, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. Awesome. All right, I'm Austin. I'm a junior here at FSU. Been with the radio station for the past four semesters, and this is my first semester with the FSVU. Um, I just moved down to Lakeland, Florida, a couple a couple months ago, so getting to know more of the Florida sports landscape. But happy to be here. Great. You'll love the Florida sports landscape. It's it's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Yeah, you should. I mean, you should be used to it. Kind of, you're a Falcons fan. You're kind sure. of an all things Atlanta fan. Yeah, United is the one team that's treated me like ever. So okay. just get used to having a second favorite team. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what a lot of people down here kind of have. So, enough of that. Let's jump into some Florida State football. They had an interesting game this past weekend against the Boise State Broncos. They lost 36 to 31 after having not won but two 18-point leads during the football game. It was a just a head-scratcher for a lot of people. The Knowles got off to a very hot start in the first half, scoring 31 points, uh, totaling over 350 yards of offense. But things kind of went south in the second half for both the defense and the offense. I know the defense kind of struggled early in the first half as well. Boise State was looking to score early on with that first drive of theirs before a fumble happened. And that has seen a uh, Hamsa Nasraldeen caused, but it was just an interesting game all around. Alex, what did you think about it? I mean, that was obviously an embarrassing way in which they lost. That was the best 30 minutes, though, of football that I think FSU has played in the last couple seasons. It's I'm in such a weird place this week. There's a lot of interesting comments coming out of practice, a lot of interesting takes we're going to have about that second half. I mean, that first half, it, it does have me excited. Oh, I know. I was for sure excited. I was I was about to send a Snapchat in the press box to a friend. I was like, when the ice cream tastes a little bit sweeter when Florida State is winning. <laughs> I know that's not probably the best thing to send out as a member of the media, but it just felt right at the time, and thankfully I didn't send it or didn't do anything because Florida State kind of got their teeth pushed in the second half. I don't know about you, Austin. What did you see from the stands? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat of almost wanting to gloat. I was going to quote the tweet after after our first 18-point lead, mm-hmm. after FSE's first 18-point lead, and say something like, oh, people actually thought that FSE would lose this game, but I deleted that. I didn't, didn't want to sound snarky, mm-hmm. and really better that I, that I didn't. But during the first half, I mean, people in the section that I was in were chanting Kendall Browse's name. I was getting on on that. It was, it was a good time. <laughs> and then yeah. second half just... Second half, it, it was a whole completely different atmosphere. I know the fans packed it for the first half or so. It was about 50,000, which was an impressive turnaround for the state for the city of Tallahassee when the game was supposed to be in Jacksonville. I know last week on the podcast, Thomas and I were discussing the conditions, the weather conditions going that were going to be 
happening during the football game, and we were talking about how Boise State was practicing wet kicks mm. with their little water guns on the sidelines, but it didn't happen. It was a bright, hot, hot, hot day. Got the sunburn to show for it. Yeah, thankfully I don't. But there was a lot of a lot of non-football related injuries. You can call it that, more or less dehydration related injuries. And I know we were talking about it before we started recording, Alex, but. What did you have on that? <laughs> yeah, I think dehydration and hydration is like a trigger word for a lot of the FSU people this <laughs> mm-hmm. week. I don't know. Willie Taggart's comments were just very weird because, I mean, yeah, you live and you learn with a lot of um, what's called tri- trial and error. This is your sixth year coaching in the state of Florida, though, because remember the four years at USF. Mm-hmm. You should know at this point when during the week you need to start hydrating. You should be hydrating. If you're playing a game, I know whenever I played baseball in high school, my dad, my uncle, whoever would yell at me, you better start drinking a ton of water the night before, and you better, like, I don't know if I could say it on this, and I'm not going to say it on it, but your your urine better be clear. If we go in by the Tom Herman P chart, it better be on the whiter side of things. So I, and the one thing that also confused me, you mentioned that Tiger coached for six years in the state of Florida, but he's also from the state of Florida. Right. So as a Floridian, you should kind of know hydration is key for whatever you do. And I know Austin, you might not know that coming from the great state, the peach state, true, true. just a very short distance from here, but you kind of need to drink a lot of water if you want to stay in the game, if you don't want to cramp up and it's, it was weird. Like you said, ba- what baby on say, or that was more or less related to conditioning, but conditioning and heat and hydration kind of all go hand in hand when it comes to football and playing in the state of Florida, a very hot state. Baby on had some interesting quotes. Yeah, he straight up said at practice on Tuesday, um, earlier today, that we weren't ready. Uh, I wasn't ready. The team wasn't ready. He admitted that they weren't conditioned properly, which I found concerning because just like you said, playing baseball, playing high school sports and then covering college sports. You know by now that conditioning is an off-season thing. At this point in the season, you're doing just X's and O's. There's not much improvement that there's not much time to improve on your conditioning mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, that's the all that off-season grind. You see all the videos on Twitter and Instagram, wherever it is, of guys getting bigger, stronger, faster. And I don't know. Maybe guys weren't posting enough to Instagram, but maybe they weren't doing it enough. Who knows? But it's just a weird thing to see. And like Florida State, I know. If you're listening to this on Wednesday when this is going up or later on, you probably heard everyone repeat the same exact thing, so we're not going to harp on it too much longer. But it just, the play calling, I'm going to get into now more of the X's and O's of the game, but the play calling was a whole different story. And it kind of felt like Kendall Bryles was calling the plays in the first half, Mm -hmm. and then maybe it was Willie Taggart in the second, maybe it was just the players getting tired and more lackadaisical. That was the reason why it looked different, but from the press box, it looked like it was Willie Taggart's play calls from the first from last season, and it kind of just looked stale. Yeah. I don't know about what you saw, Austin. <laughs> I, I'm in the, the the exact same boat once again because I mean those same dudes that were chanting Kendall Browse's name after that that one drive, like the 45 second drive at the end of the first half, mm-hmm. where it was just a bunch of screen passes for no gain. They were saying, "Oh, give Kendall Browse the playbook again." Because I, I was so even yeah. the fans were thinking yeah. that Willie had the playbook later on. Yeah, and I completely agree with them. I like I. I don't know that it's true that, that Willie took over play-calling duties, but those plays were more reminiscent of 2018 FSU. Mm-hmm. And even in the second half, we saw a lot of kind of interesting passing calls. I know it was a lot of screens, but also 
it felt like a ton of go routes mm-hmm. and a lot of deep balls thrown into double coverage that Blackman was, it kind of felt like he was forcing it into. So it was just interesting to see all that kind of unfold in that second half. And we were talking also about uh, the running game and the run game felt very effective in the first half. It looked good. Cam Akers looked like he was on fire. Kalan Laburn didn't get as many touches as maybe a lot of us were looking to see him get, but Akers, I mean, like, a lot of people have been saying it, he didn't get as much production in the second half. And and I know, Alex, you were looking at that previous to recording. What did you find on there? Yeah, I mean, Willie Taggart said something kind of weird during his Monday presser. He said that, we didn't use Cam Akers enough in the second half. They did. They uh, rushed him one less time, and they they rushed him eight times in the first half, seven times in the second half. In the first half, though, he rushed for 52 yards in the first quarter, 39 yards in the second quarter. And just I don't know if it was an offensive line thing, just like the conditioning we were talking mm-hmm. about before, but just for whatever reason, him and Laburn were just not effective in the second half at all. Yeah, Le- Labron had three carries for eight mm-hmm. yards overall. So. And I think his long Labron's longest rush was 12 yards. It was, Correct yes. me wrong. So, so there were a couple of those that went the other way. Yeah, I was about to say, I think two maybe totaling negative four yards. But mm-hmm. still, that he was one of the guys that a lot of people, and, I, and myself included, were, looking, were wanting to see him get more touches because of that explosive play he had against Virginia Tech. Funny enough, for that play, when I was covering it for the FS View, I had walked off and went to the bathroom, mm-hmm. and I hear they play the kind of the rate or like the press room audio in the bathroom. So I hear the crowd going nuts, and then I hear Laburn, what was it, 80 or no, it was like 70 some yards or whatever yeah, to get them inside the 10. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I probably just missed the play of the game for FSU. Mm-hmm. And then I get back, and the then editor or the one of the writers, Vincent Gar, uh, Vincent, and then our former editor, Blake Devine. We're saying go back to the bathroom, <laughs> go back. Like you, they were playing well out there. Just go back in. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go back. So I don't know where I'm going with this actually, but still, he didn't get the kind of touches that he needed to, and it just was weird. I don't know why they didn't do anything more with him. It might be something to ask later on down the line, maybe even next week, depending on how many touches he gets against Louisiana Monroe. But. This team that they're going up against this week, I know we're kind of getting off Boise State, and rightfully so, everything's been said on that we all could say. Louisiana Monroe is kind of a lackluster opponent compared to what Florida State started off the season with in Boise State. What are you guys looking to see this Florida State team take advantage of or possibly work on in this kind of practice scrimmage week, you could maybe call it? Yeah, I just want to see them not make mistakes. I don't want to see um, James Blackman... I think it was Bavion Johnson, actually, a premature snap that took them back like 25 yards. Right, right. I don't want to see any of that. I know uh, ULM is an FBS school, so it's not the usual FCS schools that come in here, like Delaware State winning 77-6. Mm-hmm. to six. You can still learn things about uh, against these kind of schools. I just want to see them be able to execute their plays without making stupid mistakes. I mean, remember last year, Samford came in here and FSU barely beat them. So let's see they can at least dominate an FBS school like they're supposed to. Mm. Awesome. The, the thing that I most want to see is capitalizing on the opponent's turnovers because Boise State's first drive, their fumble that led to the first FSU touchdown, that was very reassuring. But from there, both of Boise State's turnovers led to FSU turnovers, and I believe that Boise State scored off of both of those. Mm-hmm. So only seven points off of three turnovers. 
even if it is just against ULM this week, I would love to see an improvement in that regard. Not to mention the turnover that should have been a turnover. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was, once again, we're going to say it again, an interesting play, considering was it Levante Taylor was jumping on the ground to secure the ball and just gain possession. Mm. And I believe it was Dontavious Jackson who was trying to jump yes. on it and scoop and score from the five-yard line. Which is one of those things that we saw last year where it was a bunch of guys just trying to make plays. It's okay to be boring sometimes. It's mm-hmm. okay to just fall on the ball. It's okay to let your teammate have the ball, too. Exactly. Same jersey, same color. So you exactly. got to pay attention to that every now and then. I know the game moves fast when you're on the field and your adrenaline's going, mm-hmm. and you kind of get lost in it, but you kind of have to think for a quick second, even if you don't have a second. Right. I saw somebody say that was the most FSU play ever, and it kind of broke my heart a little mm-hmm. bit, because it's true, Yeah. as of recent. Yeah, that that play for Florida State felt like, I don't know if you guys remember this, the Florida play, or Florida, when Florida had both of their line, or both of their offensive linemen or whatever yes. blocking each other, mm-hmm. that kind of felt like a, Florida, <laughs> this, a very Florida State This play. might be the new Florida State meme. I already saw one where it was um, just a screenshot of the two players, no Boise State players around them for like 10 yards, and it's just saying, what if I told you FSU would not recover this? I don't, th- I don't think there's any mean potential in there. I'd like to think not, <laughs> considering there's been a lot of clowning on Florida State going on the past, was it been three days or so? So getting into the ULM team, they beat uh, their first week opponent, Grambling State, 31-9. Caleb Evans, their quarterback, who actually played against Florida State the last time they faced off in 2017, Jimbo's last season. That was the game that got rescheduled due to the hurricane that came through early that season. And that game got pushed back. I remember being at that game as a fan and uh, seeing Odell Haggins being, oh, kind. Not, he couldn't get carried off the field, but it was pretty much as if he was getting carried off the field. He was walked off to a standing ovation it was it was an emotional game you could call for that Florida State team because it kept them in the it kept them bowl eligible and they ended up going to the uh, walk-ons Independence Bowl down in Louisiana in Louisiana to actually win and beat Southern Miss. So Caleb Evans returns this week or for in, returns to Tallahassee this week. Last week he went 19 for 25, 183 yards and one touchdown and one interception. Yeah, and uh, for what it's worth, when he did come down to Florida State, he completed 60 percent of his passes. 262 yards, no interceptions, and a touchdown. He tore apart so, the floor. Yes. <laughs> he, he did look impressive, and that was just like, I can't remember the quarterback's name for Sanford last year, who ended up winning the FCS equivalent of the Heisman. Mm-hmm. So if he can really make his passes and take advantage of what FSU, if the FSU still decides to play a zone defense or a man defense, if he can find and pick and choose his battles correctly, he could tear up Florida State again and possibly even go 60% from completion yeah. percentage rate. Austin, did you have anything on ULM and who to look out for? They're running back, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. We had the one of the sports writers for uh, ULM on Tomahawk Talk last night, and he really opened my eyes to Josh Johnson, who was su- not really supposed to be their featured back. They were supposed to be more of a running back by committee type of team, but he had an absolute career day uh, Saturday. Ten carries for 173 yards and two touchdowns. So if Boise State was able to... Exploit FSU's lack of a run defense, then even if it is ULM, then I would expect uh, Josh Johnson to have a- another impressive performance. Maybe not quite to the to to the level that he played at against Grambling State, but that's a player to look out for for sure. Exactly, and along with their running back commi- running back by committee, Josh Johnson, Austin Vaughn was supposed to be their starter. He went 11 carries for 32 yards and a touchdown. So he, you could see a lot of him possibly this weekend mm-hmm. when they come to town. 
But what they're what most importantly, what they're running, what's in front of them is that front line, that offensive line for ULM. They have all five returning starters from last season. So just like Boise State, who had all five returning starters from last season, that can make the difference for them for sure. And I know, and I know, uh, Hank Bachmeier had a, took a lot of hits against Florida State and still completed a lot of passes. It could end up being the same thing again for Caleb Evans in that pocket. So who knows? And getting on to their defense, their defense. If you just look at the number, the score, thirty-one to nine, you'd say defense had a stand up, had a heck of a day. Only gave up nine points, six in the first and uh, two in, or three in the second, and then zero in the thir- second half. They looked, they looked on the stat sheet just by the normal box score. They looked, in, it was weird, kind of. They, I don't know. Apparently, according to Miles, the sports editor and photo editor for ULM student paper, they had zero sacks according to the stat sheets that we're looking at here on ULM's website and on Google. It has zero sacks, but Miles was saying it. It was a little bit different. Maybe the numbers got messed up and lost somewhere in translation. But he was also mentioning that ULM wasn't really, I know it's weird, uh, odd to say that they weren't trying to sack the quarterback for Grambling. He was more of a run-heavy kind of quarterback, run-and-gun kind of offense, and they just wanted to contain. So I understand that is a different kind of scheme that they're going to run against a different quarterback, and FSU brings a different kind of play to the table here. So... I don't know what you're looking for on their defense. I think FSU, they really just have to work on just holding and giving, holding and give, not really holding because holding is a penalty, of course, but <laughs> stopping the defensive line from reaching Blackman within the first three seconds, two seconds. I'll give him two seconds. If you give Blackman three seconds, I feel like he can make a solid throw, but anything less than three, he's going to be struggling. For sure. Awesome. Do you have anything, Alex? Either you. I just noticed that despite only putting up nine points, Grambling put up 407 yards of offense. So it looked like they were getting gashed between the 20s, but mm-hmm. then as soon as they got into the red zone, ULM's defense did step up. So that that was honestly the case for most of the first half against Boise State. Mm-hmm. So could be seeing a repeat. Yeah. Hopefully not in terms of score. but Yeah, they were kind of getting bailed out when it came to Grambling about to score. So. Obviously, that helps. I know FSU kind of had a little bit of a bailout situation on that first drive and later on in certain other situations. But I don't know where this Graham, or not, I don't know where this ULM team is going to be able to make their money. I, is it going to be on the run game or is it the passing game? What will be the difference maker for this team on Saturday? Um, I think on our defense, we need to. I think the most important thing is our zone was really bad on mm-hmm. Saturday. I mean, I was re watching the film and. We just had no answer for them when we were in zone. There were times where receivers were catching balls where there was no defender around for 10 yards or so. Same with uh, the second level of defense when they were running. I feel like our defensive line got into the backfield enough, but then somehow the running back would elude them, and then there was just no linebackers to cover that second level. Mm-hmm. And it just came down to tackling. Tackling was the end-all, right. be-all for that game. And I mentioned this on Tomahawk Talk on Monday night. But it feels like kind of the way... I know Levante Taylor mentioned in the post-game presser, he was kind of going on saying they really did struggle with tackling. It kind of... They weren't... He didn't say this, but you could infer that they didn't feel prepared on tackling. They... Maybe it's because of the NCAA rules with tackling and hitting during practices in the offseason, but it's just different once you get into a game. You can't really, like, take it easy. You can take it easy in practice, but you're not supposed to really take it easy in a game. You can't just, like kind of lightly hit the guy with your shoulder pad and say, oh, you're down, and him just not run any longer. So, I don't know, Austin, what did you think on the tackling, and how do you think 
Who do you think will be the most improved tackler this game for FSU? I would hope the most improved tackler is Levante David or Levante Taylor rather. Mm-hmm. David's in the NFL, so <laughs> um, his game Saturday was not too not too convincing. So I would hope that he's able to step up again. But just the tackling, even in the first half, like I said, the people the, the people that sat next to me seemed to be more in tune with more of the nuances of the game than the average fans. Mm-hmm. So they were noticing the poor tackling as well, and like. That's a huge issue to work on going forward. I don't think you had to be a football savant. I don't think you had to be a Sean McVay to notice that that tackling looked bad. I know if you look at the stat sheet, Florida State did have a lot of tackles that game, but that was solely because they kept running the ball a lot, and Florida State kept getting guys down at certain yardages. But I think think we've harped enough on on this football team enough. I think there's not too much that can be said, and let's get into some predictions for this game. Who do you got score? And let's do MVP for you, whether it be offense or defense. Awesome. I would say that FSU wins this game halfway convincingly. I would say 33 to 20. 30, 20 points. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I guess that could work. <laughs> I don't really got an answer for that one, but yeah. I have FSU scoring 45 to 50, maybe allowed 48 to 17. I still think the defense will have its struggles. Struggles. Especially if you can't get the tackling fixed. I mean, you can't beat anybody if you don't know how to tackle. No. That, yeah. You, and, um, so, yeah, I think that they ULM will find 17 or 20 points out there, but that defense really isn't good. And I think that the FSU offense, even though they did nothing in the second half, just the first half was enough to score 31 against Boise State. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll be able to find 48 there. Okay. And I'm not going to be a contrarian. I'm not going to take ULM. I know there's some belt school. I'm from South Florida, FAU was my hometown team. They were they used to be a Sun Belt school, so ULM is not my friend once again. And I think Florida State's going to take this one. I think they're going to win by the score of 37 to 19. Let's go 19. I like that weird yes. number. I'm, my goal this year is to pick all the FSU games with weird numbers, so keep an eye out for that. That's not too I'm far picking. off from my prediction. I no, don't know why you were so dumbfounded. No, it, you kind of like, you, maybe, maybe you straightened me out with my, my, my line of thinking mm-hmm. that Maybe Florida State can give up some points, but I don't know if they're going to be that efficient on the offensive end from what we saw in that second half, or maybe that second half was the wake-up call that they maybe needed. So I think we got our scores down 35-19 for myself. Austin, you would, what was it again? 33-20. 38-17. All right, those are the scores. You can do with that what you will when it comes to betting or the over-unders. So enjoy that, but let's jump into some of the other FSU sports because football is not the only sport here at Florida State, and we do have some teams at this school that are showing up, and they're playing well or maybe not playing well, depending on which side of the coast they're on right now. But let's go to the West Coast. Let's take it out to Cali. Florida State women's soccer, They after getting off to a hot start with 2-0, they beat TCU, then they beat Wisconsin in overtime. They come in to the west coast last week uh was it august 29th they take on ucla at lafc's stadium wasn't that it yep, bank yeah. of america stadium bank of america spelled with a c b a n c of Cal- california actually bank of bank california, california my bad. sorry bank of california b a n c stadium and they kind of got shocked they kind of got hit in the mouth first early on and they just weren't able to come back they lost ended up losing the game two to one and I know, it, I mean, you could maybe you could chalk it up to the lag, the jet lag, but the next game, they played uh, University of Southern California, 
and they lost 3-2. So they're kind of getting stunned right now. I know you could once again say it was the West Coast timing, it was X, Y, and Z, but I know a lot of players don't like to make excuses for themselves, and that's not how it's going to be here either. We're not going to make excuses for them because we can't speak for them. Mm. But what did you see from this game? I know you really weren't able to watch it, but what from what you read and from the stat sheets and maybe the highlights that you saw, Austin? I feel like the jet lag could have been a halfway valid excuse for the UCLA game because that is their first game in that time zone, mm-hmm. but not so much for the USC game. You should be pretty well adjusted by the time that you play them. I think it was two days or three days removed. Thursday and then Sunday. Mm-hmm. Thursday, Sunday, yes. So they did have some time to maybe soak in that Cali sun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the U- the USC game just got off to a rocky start incredibly fast. Uh, right after FSU took the kickoff, they turned it over, led to a fast break for U- USC, and that was a 35-second goal for USC. So not the way that you want to start a soccer game by any means. Uh, they did answer back with a goal from Jenna Nyswanger in the, in the 11th minute, but I mean... It was just, th- that's definitely not the right way to start a game. Alex, what did you see? Yeah, my biggest concern was just, last year they did the same exact trip against the same exact teams, and they mm-hmm. went one and one. It's hard to sweep this series going across the coast, like you guys said, with the jet lag, and both of these schools, UCLA and USC, are both top five in the nation. But if you're going to try to defend a national championship, it would have been nice to see them at least take one of these games. Mm-hmm. So that was just kind of concerning. It'll be interesting to see them come back on Friday at home against UF, a huge rivalry game. Uh, the Sportsplex is going to be packed. Mm-hmm. So it'll just be nice to see. I think that will be a really good indicator of how the season's going to go. Mm. And I actually may have fed you some wrong information earlier on. They actually played in Tallahassee for those two games against USC and UCLA. They tied the first game 0-0 against the Trojans, and then they won 4-1 against the Bruins. So kind of that reverse of kind of the reverse of fortune for Florida State kind of seeing the other end of the stick how traveling east and traveling west kind of affects the team Mm. but they did also face the Gators right after that two game stretch of the Bruins and Trojans and Florida State did end up winning that game 1-0 in Tallahassee so they kind of faced that same rough schedule early on in the season again and after that they kind of get a little bit of a break with Sanford, Colorado and Nova to follow up those the next three but this Florida State team is going to be in a tough spot because this is really a... You, I wouldn't say it's a do-or-die game. That's It's way too early in the season to call it do-or-die. But it could be a momentum shifter one way or the other. And Florida State, I feel like this team... I feel like... But I I don't think it's going to shift them in the wrong direction if they do end up losing to the Gators on Friday night. And it actually, I think, would actually be a bigger wake-up call for them. And they would kind of straighten it out, right the ship because they have some nice some solid games to kind of even themselves out and get themselves prepared for the AC, the heart of the ACC schedule when they take on the UNCs of the world and the Duke and whoever when it comes to women's soccer. So I don't know what what to really make of this game. I know we have to really see it in person, and I know we're all, I, at least myself, I'll be going as a fan of this game. Alex will be there covering it for the FS View. Austin, will you be there on Friday night? I will not be there, actually. Okay. My, my dad's coming into town for the ULM game. Mm-hmm. Because he is a ULM alum back, oh. back from when it was Northeast Louisiana University. So okay. he's making the trip up. So we're going to be doing our own thing Friday night. Interesting. So you will be fraternizing with the, eni- with the enemy of Florida State. <laughs> you, you could put not it the that enemy. way. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So... <laughs> That will be, so I know we're going to have to see how this team really responds in person. I know there will be a different atmosphere. They'll have that crowd to play behind. And I think and I think Dana Castellanos and the girls and are going to be able to show up better. And I think the one main person that's really going to have to show up 
is the goalkeeping. The goalkeeping kind of was interesting the past past year and a half, really. Brooke Bollinger played a lot of games for Florida State as, I believe, a redshirt freshman. And then she had gotten injured once she got to NCAAs in the tournament. And then Caroline Jeffers, the, uh, the redshirt junior, I believe she's a redshirt junior, took over. And she showed up and ended up leading Florida State to the title, winning their second NCAA Women's World College Cup title, and then end up winning the starting job going into this year. And she looked solid the first two games against uh, TCU and Wisconsin, but kind of fell apart in this these two-game stretch, kind of along with the rest of this team and their defense as a whole. So I was wondering, really, does this does Gregorian start to maybe think of a goalkeeping switch? I don't know. I don't, I'm not the biggest... I'm kind of a novice when it comes to the game of soccer, so I don't know how these goalkeeping changes kind of really come about. I know maybe Austin, our resident a Atlanta United fan, right. really thinks about this, but what do you got? I don't really think you look at a goalkeeper uh, change this early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, from my, I, I don't have any experience covering or any familiarity with college soccer, but as you mentioned, MLS, and then I watch the Premier League from time to time. Goalkeepers are going to have stretches where they give up one, two, three goals for three games in a row. But especially with a national championship winning goalie, you don't sub them out three games into the or four games rather into the season. Right. Uh, sorry. No, you're, I was just going to. Well, but what? If, but what if you have a goalkeeper that got you all the way to that point in the season where Caroline Jeffers was rested, healthy, and just ready to kind of step in and fill in the hole that needed to be filled? Does Brooke ha- does Brooke Bollinger have a right to? The, or does she have a, cl- a solid claim to this goalkeeping position if? Say Jeffers loses this game and let's call it a two-goal deficit, at least two. At least let's say Florida State loses this next game, three to one or two nil. Uh, does Krikorian start to maybe consider Bollinger to come in? I think so. I think you also though have to look at your defense because in soccer a lot of times your defense is the. I mean. Your defense is your first line of defense before you're goalie. <laughs> I realize now how silly that sounds. Yeah. But you do have to look at your defense, and it's kind of like the same in hockey, which, you know, I, I'm like you, I'm a novice in soccer, but in hockey it's the same type of thing where mm-hmm. it's not always the goalie's fault if it's... And this is what I'll be interested to see in person on Friday and then Sunday again, they're at home against Sanford, is is this the goalie not making proper reads or proper dives, or is this the defense just letting anyone through? Mm-hmm. And I know... And I know USC was able to score 35 seconds into the half, so that really feels like a, more of the defensive and more of the back line kind of issue there. A breakdown. Exactly. So, once again, it's just interesting to see how this all unfolds, considering Florida State returns a lot of the players that they had from this national championship roster. Like, as in Yuji, or I'm going to probably botch this, I'm trying my hardest to get this right, Yuji Zhao, Zhao, is that right? I, I hope it's right. Yuji Zhao, I want to say. Okay, please forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. I mean no harm. But what, she was one of the big players that came in out of last season that really stepped up when she needed to. And, she, and on the road trip in California, she didn't or she accumulated no goals but only three shots total, and three of those shots came in the USC match where she played 91 minutes and then the 69 in the first game against UCLA. So I think she's going to be another player to look out for. She's one of the top midfielders for Florida State, and I think she really – I'm going to say this now. I predict Yuji Zhao to have one goal against the Gators, at least one goal against the Gators. So I think her – I know Castellanos, you can generally pencil Castellanos down for a goal or an assist of some sort because she's just one of those players that you just have to watch. She's yeah. just one of those – 
She's an ama- She's a phenomenal soccer player, and for, even from someone who doesn't know the game as well, I can recognize and be like, "Wow, she is special. She's got she's got it pretty much when it comes to women's soccer." And I know she was offered a position on uh, Real Madrid's club club team coming out of last season. She rejected the offer and decided to come back to Florida State to finish out her degree because obviously there's a, a pretty decent and large discrepancy when it comes to the pay grade in the women's club to, uh, compared to the men's club. So. I think she made the right choice just based on where the salaries are looking at. And she has had a career in TV. She did do a lot of uh, coverage of the Women's World Cup this past summer with, I believe, Telemundo. And so she's got she's got talent both on and off the field. So she is one of the smarter players I'd call around the world. I don't know. If you, what, what have you guys seen in her that maybe I don't see? I mean, really, I, I can't do anything but echo what you just said. Mm-hmm. She's the biggest creator on this team, one of the biggest creators in the sport, I would say. Um, when she's not scoring goals, she's making goals happen with assists. Um, but like you said, I think that Yuja Zhao is a, a really big compliment to her. Those three shots that she had in the last game, like those could easily propel her to score a goal against UF, like you said. But Dana Castellanos, I think, is really the undisputed leader of this team. Okay, Alex, do you have anything, or do you, or should we jump right to predictions for this Sunshine State showdown? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm down for the predictions. All right, what do you got? I um, I think you're right. I I think that Florida will get a goal. I think uh, Florida's a really good soccer team. Mm. I do think that FSU is going to rebound though from this bad road trip that they had. I think they're going to enjoy being in front of their crowd. Uh, that's probably the best crowd they get all year is that UF FSU game. Uh, I think it's going to be three one. 3-1. Okay, 3-1 Knowles or 3-1 games? 3-1 Okay, 3-1 Knowles. Who's your MVP? I think it's going to have to be Dana Castellanos. Like you guys said, she's a, a team leader in, it. in rivalry games like this. Your team leader is the one that always seems to step up. Austin, what do you got? I'm going to be a little more conservative with the margin of victory and say 2-1 for FSU. I think that Dana Castellanos still is the MVP. Um, like you said, Alex, she is. She we, we would expect her to pop off in this rivalry game. Just from personal experience, Joseph Martinez for Atlanta United always pops off against Orlando okay. City. So she is the Joseph Martinez of this team, in my opinion, but 2-1, I would say. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, considering MLS is play, a standard of play? I mean, Joseph Martinez set the league record for goals last season. Okay. So. Fair enough. I guess i got to watch more of Atlanta United. Maybe once Miami gets there, maybe once Inter-Miami gets going, prob- I'll probably start jumping more into the MLS, but I'm going to start focusing on the Premier League and... Florida State women's soccer for the most part right Probably now. a smart move. Exactly. I'll follow a couple winning clubs in those <laughs> two teams. So, I okay, so for my prediction, I think uh, I'm going to go with Knowles 2, Gators 1. Okay. So we're tight there. Yes. I think uh, Yuji Zhao tallies one goal in this match. Castellanos, I'm... I'm going to say she doesn't get the second goal in that one. Okay. Ironically enough, she probably has an assist... And then I really liked what I saw out of Heather Payne in that first game against TCU. I don't know if she'll get the start in this one. She's only started two games so far for Florida State. But she really was impressive that first game against TCU where she had the first goal of the season for the Knowles. And the last person to score the score the FSU's first goal of the season as a freshman, a true freshman. You want to take a guess? Anyone got a guess? I got nothing. I mean, it's. Pr- I think it would be pretty obvious it's probably the biggest name that we've talked about all night, it's Dana Castellanos. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I don't know if the comparison is there. Maybe she's the Irish Dana Castellanos. Who knows? We'll see when we get there on Friday night when the Seminoles take on the Gators at the Plex. 
believe that game is at 7 p.m. It is, yes. 7 p.m. at the Plex in Tallahassee. It'll be a good one for sure. Another addition in the Sunshine State Showdown. But moving it over just a little bit further away from the Plex, we're going to head over to the Tully Gym, Tully Gymnasium, where Florida State Women's Volleyball, the indoor team, got out to kind of a, a rough start. You call it that against Minnesota or Wisconsin in their first game of the year. They got swept by the Badgers, 3 nothing. And then they come right back. This is a, a tournament style that they're a tournament that they're playing in. It's kind of round robin almost. They were playing in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and they lost their first game, like I mentioned. But they came back on Saturday's match where they took on the number three team in the nation, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, and beat them, swept them three nothing. And ironically enough, the Gophers swept Florida State pretty much at the same time last year. 3 nothing. So, kind of just a big revenge game for the Seminoles, and they were able to take advantage of it. And it was really kind of a, a big morale booster, you'd call, for this team, considering they did get, uh, I believe they got swept by the Gators in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year for when they made, when coming off the previous year in 2017 where they missed the tournament altogether. Mm-hmm. So, there were kind of high hopes coming into this team. I know, Alex, you were saying they had a young team coming into this one. It's interesting to see that a young team like this can keep up with the number three team in the nation. Yeah, they have uh, seven freshmen and only three seniors. Usually across any sport, football, volleyball, basketball, the team that upsets uh, a top-ranked opponent is the one that has a lot of seniors, maybe even a little bit uh, or a lot of juniors. This one did it with seven freshmen, which was shocking. Yeah, it was certainly interesting to see there some of the notable stats from that game. Uh, Jasmine Martin for Florida State, sixteen kills. Who else was? Who else we got? Peyton Caffrey, ten kills. It was just, it was pretty. It wasn't really that even when it comes to the kills last the other night. Obviously, volleyball is a different animal when it comes to stat keeping and all that. You have a lot of the outside hitters getting the majority of the kills, but when it comes to the blocking and all that, Taryn Kunith stepped up. She was yes. first team all I believe first team all ACC last year in her second year her freshman year. She was second team all ACC. So she's certainly been on the uptick at her time in Florida State. She had two or five blocking assists and uh, two blocks it looked like in that game against the Gophers. So she's really been stepping up and I know she kind of has taken a step back in terms of getting kills and assists. I know last year in her first game when she played Minnesota again last year she had, I believe, eight kills and three blocks in that match, which is just unheard of. And this one, she only had two. So kind of understanding her position, understanding her role, and letting her teammates do what they need to do and kind of being a facilitator almost. I don't know, Austin, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, nobody else on either on either team filled up the stat sheet in terms of blocks. So she was an absolute monster in that regard. Mm-hmm. But looking for her to get kills is kind of out of the way. I mean, if a middle blocker does get kills, that's great. But... Like I, like I said, the, the blocking is really what you're looking for there, and she was exceptional in that regard. Mm-hmm. And Coach Poole has done a great job with this team over the years. I know they did miss the tournament a couple of years ago, but this team does compete year in and year out with the best of them. I know they kind of they started off these past few years with rough stretches with Wisconsin-Minnesota, and obviously the Big Ten is one of the greater powerhouses of the women's volley- indoor volleyball world. As usually, It's usually Penn State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Minnesota, all those kind of northern schools that really take over because this is an indoor sport and you can play a year-round up there. So obviously they kind of have the upper hand where a lot of 
a lot of girls in Florida or in the South when it comes to volleyball, they kind of flip-flop going from beach to uh, indoor. So you kind of have that interesting dynamic when it comes to it. I know from my experience in watching and covering volleyball in high school, it was cool to see kind of those girls go back and forth between the two. Any of you guys, any, any thoughts on the volleyball team in general? I know, I know it's not one of the more no, one of the more talked about sports around campus, but they do well year in and year out. Yeah, and I do think I gave you some wrong information a little bit before. They have Did made you? the tournament a couple year or the last Dad couple gummit. years. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dad gummit, why exactly. did you do that? I know it's only fair. I gave you bad information. You give <laughs> me some. Um, they were a first round bounce the last couple years, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would hope that. Beating Minnesota shows that they do have it in them to uh, make it past that first round because it seems like that's been their speed bump the last few years. Mm-hmm. Is they can make the tournament. They've been consistently good with a uh, Chris with a uh, coach pool. You said, mm-hmm. and which is true. They're consistently winning 18, 19, 20 games a year. It's just that tournament play, and hopefully, like you said, playing well in this tournament, beating Minnesota in this mini tournament, will help them later on in the year. Yeah, exactly, and they. And after and this up and coming weekend, they'll be heading to Fort Worth, Texas, to play in another kind of round robin tournament pool kind of style uh, event, where they'll be taking on the FAU Owls on Friday night and then or Friday afternoon. Then on Saturday, they will be playing Colorado State, and then Sunday the TCU Horn Frogs. So they'll have another tough kind of close stretch of games up against each other this up and coming weekend. So it really is a little period of rest for this team. And I don't know how much is that really going to affect them going down the line, but they really it kind of does even out when you get later to to the later halves of the year. You kind of have games on Thursday, Friday, and then just once or twice a week from there. So maybe they'll get that rest when they need it. But for right now, it's no rest for them. Uh, Austin, do you get any, you got anything from reading yeah. up on them? Yeah, I mean it, it's definitely a lot of compression early in the season. So I would expect them to be. Or I, I wouldn't fault them for being worn out by the time the TCU game hits. Um, I would still expect them to win that, honestly, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe not as dominant as they were against, say, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, uh, Alex, you got anything for this next stretch of games for the Knolls? Yeah, it's it's three games in a row. They do get, it looks like, uh, six days off. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, three games in a row is a lot, but remember, these girls do play in off-season tournaments, at least during high school. I know a lot of girls that would, they're used to playing three games in a row, and I'm sure that by the end of it they're going to be exhausted, but it's not exactly something that's impossible or unheard of. For sure. So, and I mean, TCU's going to be in the same boat, too. Right. So. No, yeah, everyone will be kind of on the struggle bus, per se, when it comes to the latter, ha- the later half of the weekend there. Are you say- But when you say the endurance and that kind of uh, work ethic from them, do you say that they have better or worse endurance than the Florida State football team? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know endurance, <laughs> endurance, and kind of conditioning is kind of the theme of this episode, and and I know at least I have a ton of experience, and I don't like my I don't like conditioning too much. No, no, I don't know anyone who looks forward to that. Yeah, you, I think you got to be a little bit of a crazy person. I do know one person, my coach, and our condi- strength and conditioning coach in high school. He loved it with a passion. <laughs> oh well, well, he was he the one actually doing the conditioning with you guys? No, he would just yell at us. Oh, right. See, that's fun. Yelling (laughs) at people running is fun. Oh, yeah. Coach Toe was great. (laughs) If anyone knows Coach Toe out there, I love him. (laughs) Anything else on you guys? Where do you see Florida State coming out of this, out of of Fort Worth? What do you see the record as just for this weekend? 
I would say 2-1 for this weekend. Um, in terms of sets, I'm not really sure, but I think the Friday match, they're going to be still a little amped up from the, the win over Minnesota, um, so I, I expect them to take that. And then I'm not sure about the quality of Colorado State's volleyball team, but, I mean, if you drop, a, drop one game in the middle of a weekend, I wouldn't be too shaken up about that. But 2-1, I would say. Yeah, I think 2-1 also. FAU isn't uh, the strongest in volleyball. I do know that Colorado State... Um, just in the little bit of reading I've done on them, is pretty good, as is TCU. Mm. I'd say Colorado State and TCU are both toss-ups. That's why I'm going with 2-1. and one. I don't really know which game they're going to mm-hmm. win, but I know they're going to get one of them just because, like I said, it's a toss-up. It's going to be 50-50 between them. All right. I'm I'm not going to be middleman Dan here. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say Florida State comes out of this weekend 3-0. and I respect that. 3-0 and in the weekend. They take, down, they take down the Owls. I, it hurts me to say I love my Owls from back in Boca. But they take down the Owls, they take down the Rams, and they take down the Horned Frogs. Do you, in, think, do you think they go 9-0 in sets? No, I think they lose a couple <laughs> sets here and there. That's, okay. that's a bit too bold for me. I won't go that far. 25-0? 25 nothing. 25 nothing. <laughs> sure, yeah, let's say that. Okay. But, yeah, I think the Seminoles come out of this weekend feeling great because of their weekend that they had. I know Oh, I'd say 1-1 one one is a, a success when you're going up against the number 5 and 3 team in the nation. So they did perform. They did outperform a lot of expectations of probably what maybe some of the Big Ten media would be saying right now. They mm-hmm. probably came in, they had Minnesota and Wisconsin going, winning both of those, winning their games against Florida State, but Florida State wasn't going to let that happen. So I think that's all we got on the Seminoles from all angles. I know there's probably some other sports that we may miss, but we'll probably catch them on the next episode of Talk and Chop. Once again, thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Austin. Thank you, Alex. We'll be sure to have you guys on at another point in this year, maybe the next, who knows. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Talk and Chop. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FSVU Sports for more updates regarding the show and all things FSU Sports. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.